0: TSCRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Joining me today is Dr. Nathan Kennedy the horse division manager of the Four Sixes Ranch. With a ranching background and a love for horses and science, Dr. Kennedy got his DVM credentials at Colorado State University and began his career right away at the Four Sixes Ranch in 2011. Dr. Kennedy thanks for being with me today.
1: Yes, of course.
0: A good ranch horse. Is almost, I mean, it, it's just as valuable as another person being there. And yeah. the cowboy and the horse are such a team out working cattle, doing so many of the tasks on a ranch. You know, they say a good dependable ranch horse is worth their weight in gold. And, and I think it's yep. so true. So let's dive into just overall ranch horse care. I'm going to let you just run with it. What are things to <laughs> think about? What are things that ranchers and cattlemen need to be have top of mind with ranch horse care?
1: Sure. So one of the things that we do here is we do a lot of reproduction, obviously. And so with the, whenever I get asked a question like that, I immediately go to before the foal's even born and, and it starts in the womb, you know, and, and, and it that can be things of, of, you know, picking good quality sire, picking a good quality mare, um, you know, making sure you have good genetics and all that kind of thing for what you're looking for, um, in that foal. But then, in terms of mare care, um, I think you know vaccinations are really important, and, and it's really neat to me because I'm a, a doctor and I can get off in the in the weeds and, and and nerd out a little bit. But the differences in placentas across different species are just fascinating to me. But horses are are such that their placentas don't let a lot through, which is really good. Like they they preserve the foal from a lot of toxins and infections. But unfortunately. They don't let a lot of antibodies through, and so the, the the colostrum, the first milk when the foal is born, is so vitally important. And the way to get good quality colostrum is to ensure the mare is well vaccinated. So to me, is starting to get good overall range care starts with getting that good immunity, that good colostrum at birth, which starts with keeping your your broodmare vaccinated. After the foals are born, one of the things we're, we're strong believers in here is plasma. Um, we use hyperimmune plasma. It's from donor mares that have received um, different immunizations to boost their immune system. And you can just get generalized hyperimmune plasma to boost that foal's immunity. But you can also target it to specific things. For example, now that people, it's it's a lot more commonplace to be hauling your mares to breeding farms in different places to get different size, you know, stallions to improve those genetics. Well, the more you haul them, the more stressed they are, and the more likely they are to pick up things like rotococcus or clostridial diarrheas and things like that. So you can actually get plasmas. We purchased from MG Biologics. We've done a lot of work and research with them and, and just love their products. But, but it, it's just a great start. And, and just to me, I, I've seen a lot of foals that, that may have good colostrum and they do fine, never get sick. But then when you give them that plasma, it just seems to help make them blossom for lack of a better term from there uh we're real big on following the AAEP, the American association of equine practitioners vaccine guidelines um, on the foals as they, as they grow and become yearling's two-year-olds and on up through their life for their annual vaccine. But to me, it's all just a risk-based deal because you can go crazy vaccinating too much. I do believe in that as well. So kind of finding that balance of, of what, what the core vaccines are. And then from there, they're just kind of risk-based vaccines. And so a lot of that kind of boils down to something I was going to point up in a little bit, but just having a good relationship with a veterinarian that can help give you some common sense on what to, to protect against. For example, the West Nile vaccine, since that's come out, there's hardly any West Nile cases. So then some people quit giving that vaccine for a little while. Well, next thing you know, there seems to be a flare-up of it, but it's mostly just that that vaccine was so protective against West Nile. Having a good relationship with a veterinarian to help you, kind of weed through that and not that way you don't go broke going to tractor supply and just buying all the vaccines on the shelf. Just kind of picking and choosing what you should actually vaccinate with.
0: Well, and would you say that it's nice to have somebody to talk through the risks to understand your sure. program, what your goals are, what you're doing with your horses and, and yes. talk through that and have a team for that?
1: Yes. hundred percent agree with that. Yep. Cause it, you can't just have a blanket protocol even on a single outfit, like just looking at at us for example, every age group is so diverse, and and even like from our yearlings right now, they're out in a wheat field versus our gilding, they're out in a pasture. So the nutrition's different, and the exposures are different, and you know, so you you have to take into account lots of factors when you're developing vaccine protocols and 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 just general health care protocols as well.
0: Sure. Okay. Keep going. Keep going on that overall ranch horse care. So
1: one thought I just had since I mentioned. The, the, our yearlings are out in the past year. This is one thing that, that we do that I think is huge. And, and it's one of those, it's a, everything you do is always a, a risk reward thing. But, but we're real big on after we wean the babies off the mamas, you know, we'll put them in some small pens while they're learning to eat, feed, you know, that kind of, kind of thing. So we can also keep a close eye on them. But once they're weaned, we'll, you know, kick them out, out into little traps or little uh, winter wheat fields here. Uh, around here and you know some of them are you know a couple hundred acres big i think that does wonders for their feet for their bone strength and for their mind to just be able to run around and be horses out in the pasture you know and after the winter wheat dies off you know so april may we'll go ahead and move them out to regular horse pasture where they'll stay into their two-year-old when we pick them and start them but uh, all that to say you know some places in the world you know those horses you know they just get All they ever know is a stall. Well, next thing you know, they're having to get specialty shoeing because of farrier stuff. They're having to have bone issues, you know, and and arthritis. And and a horse isn't made to just stand around in a stall. So I think it's important to every once in a while, you know, even if you have a good show horse, to, to give them some time off and let them be a horse every once in a while.
0: Sure. And I bet it's good for their mind and their body to be turned out occasionally. What else comes to mind?
1: On farrier, you know, I think I mentioned, you know, their feet are so much better on the pasture, but a good program, you know, you got to take care of their feet and make sure they're trimmed and balanced and, and, you know, have a good relationship with the farrier. And then the other kind of general ranch horse care I was going to talk about is, especially on big ranches, sometimes it's hard to do things in big groups, but I think it is important to get a good foundation on these things as foals, um, halter break them, you know, get that, establish that good human horse bond early on. You know, I know some people have done a lot of research on imprinting and stuff. And, and I love that. A lot of times it's hard on a big ranch to do that just because of numbers and size and, you know, limited staffing. But, uh, the more you can do early on, um, with those falls, the better to, to establish that relationship, which will help just build as you get to the age where you start training on them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Talk about, right quick, teeth care for horses.
1: So, you know, horses are unique in in that they have two types of teeth. Their incisors, their front teeth are kind of like our teeth. In terms of they have baby teeth, they'll lose the baby teeth and then they get adult teeth. And they'll have those adult teeth through their whole life. Their cheek teeth are continually erupting through the course of their life. And they have sometimes, you know, that you'll hear the term caps. You know, some people argue if that's a t- type of a baby tooth, but they're not true deciduous type teeth. They're baby teeth and adult teeth. They just continually erupt over a course of time. Rabbits have teeth sort of like that, but, but they grind each other down as they're erupting. Well, this is a question I'm going to ask God someday, but the, their mandible, their lower jaw is narrower than their top jaw. And so they'll get sharp points on the, what we call the buccal aspect of their upper teeth on the cheek side or on the lingual side or the tongue side of their lowers, but just because of that little bit of narrowing discrepancy between the two jaws. And, and over time, instead of just wearing each other down flat, they'll get those sharp points. So periodically they'll need. What we we call being floated, but what it is is you go with uh, either a hand float or a drill and you grind down those sharp points to keep them from rubbing sores or ulcers in their tongue or their cheek and uh you know what you never do is 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 you never grind down the flat part where they actually chew because you want that to be rough because horses are either eating a lot of roughages, whether it's stemmed out haze, whether it's grass, they need to be able to grind that up to increase the digestibility content. But uh you know every horse is different. I am a firm believer in making all decisions on based on what's best for the horse. There's some veterinarians, there's some lay dentists out there that that are, you know, advocate, oh you need to float their teeth every 6 months. Well, some horses do need floated every 6 months, but I know some horses that need floated every 2 to 3 years. And so again, that's having a good relationship with your veterinarian and Knowing that you can trust each other and floating their teeth is something that needs done, otherwise they'll eventually get ulcered in their mouth, which will then start making them drop feed they'll they'll lose weight and, and 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 not thrive be thrifty and thrive but it's also one of those deals you can't overdo it because if you just constantly grind their teeth down, eventually they're going to be left with little nubs so you, you do have to be very careful with it and again have that good relationship with your vet but an aspect that some trainers talk about. They have little itty bitty what they call little deciduous type teeth that uh little remnants um called wolf teeth. Sometimes, you know, especially with snaffle bits especially, that that bit might hit those teeth. Um so every once in a while people talk about pulling their wolf teeth. You know, typically what I recommend on especially on gildings is whenever you go to castrate them when they're yearling or two year olds, is while they're knocked out and under general anesthesia. That's a perfect time to pull their that little baby wolf teeth. So in case you've never heard heard talk about wolf teeth.
0: Sure, sure. That's very interesting. And then too,
1: like if if you're on a on a ranch, a lot of stuff's hard to do individualized care. So then sometimes you have to rely on protocols or, or groups. And so just giving you an example of how we do it. Horses tolerate getting their teeth floated better with just a little bit of sedation, you know. And and so with a pregnant mare, you really don't want to sedate them while they're pregnant and risk something happening to the baby. So our protocol is every time a mare foals out, we'll bring them up for a post-foal. That's when we run that baby, that plasma I talked about earlier. We'll also do physical exam on the baby. We give them a, a microchip. We'll, we'll do a physical exam on the mare if she needs a Coggins or any, any anything else. We'll We'll get her up to speed. But we also, while she's not pregnant and bred back yet, because literally just fold out, we'll go ahead and float her teeth at that time. And then in the fall, kind of the one time of year where we just start to slow down a little bit, December and January, we'll go through and float all of our studs' teeth. We'll float all the any of our uh, embryo flush mares, are, you know, that are open and won't be falling out. And, and then that's also when that we'll go through when we're doing our winter, winter vaccine or winter, early spring vaccines um, on our Bermuda, our gildings, we'll go through and float their teeth at that point as well. So that way we kind of get on a system and a grouping.
0: Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Make sure nothing's overlooked. So yes. at the time that we're recording, we just had a really cold spell in Texas, <laughs> three days of freezing weather. And so I'm curious what are special considerations for the winter time? You know, Texas can be up and down temperature wise, but, the cooler, cooler seasons, what are things to consider with your horses? You
1: know, to me, water is always important, you know, in Texas, uh, making sure they're hydrated, you know, but especially in the winter. I see more colics um, in the winter with cold weather than I do hot weather. And, and and a lot of that is, it's just natural that you're not as thirsty in the winter, seemingly, because you're not exercising, you're not sweating, you not you don't have that... Stimulation to your brain saying, Oh, you're thirsty. And, and so you just naturally don't drink as much when it's not hot. Combine that with when you have a really cold spell and everything ice is over, um, especially here in Texas, like you said, where a lot of waters don't have heaters in them, um, or they're drinking out of stock tanks or ponds, you know, and so you have to go through and bust ice and, and, and make sure that those horses have good access to good, good clean water sources. Whenever we get really cold spells like these polar vortex blasts we've been getting every once in a while, providing shelter is important because a lot of these horse pastures aren't, you know, they don't have lean to necessarily out in them. And, but, but even as long as they have, um, some draws and some ravines and some brush and some natural cover, you know, same, same with your cattle, you know, they need to be able, you don't want to have them just out on a wheat field that's just open with, with no sort of protection whenever, it's six degrees and there's a 10 mile an hour breeze out of the north kind of deal, you know? So, so making sure you have good shelter and protection. Just kind of a, a general wintertime thing. That seems to be when the ticks start showing up. I think a lot of it is because they're cold also and, and, and the horses are nice and fuzzy and warm about then. So it seems like that's when we really see a ticks kind of popping up more commonly on these horses. So, uh, we'll, we'll go through and, and there's a several good, products that are pour-on type deals for horses um and we'll make sure we we treat any for any ticks in the winter time also but but I would say making sure they're well hydrated is probably the most important thing that I like to emphasize during the winter months
0: sure and then the flip side what about those hot months um what tips do you have there
1: so again I think water is the most important because of sweating and activity. And, you know, it seems like as it starts heating up, then it's branding time and then it, then rodeos and activities. And so making sure your horses have plenty of water, uh, you know, even if you need to utilize something like electrolytes, we actually recently partnered with, uh, full bucket to make a, a, our own electrolytes because I, we're such believers in it, but carrying electrolyte paste if you're traveling or something or, or powders to add into their water, but but keeping them well hydrated is very important. In the summer, especially in Texas, it seems like flies are the big nuisance, you know, and, and there's a whole host of ways to kind of treat flies. Obviously, there's traditional fly sprays, but but most of those you have to apply daily or multiple times a day, there there's several products that we like that are pour-ons that you can put on them that last a couple of weeks. You know, some people are big on fly sheets and fly masks. You know, that's a little bit harder and and has some risk if you're turning your horses out in the pasture on a ranch just because they could get hung up in the brush or in a fence or something. So you just have to take that into consideration. One one thing we actually utilize here is is we partner with our feed companies, and you can get what they call feed through products. Um one of the one that comes to the top of my mind is called Clarifly. And, and you can mix it in a whole host of feeds, but the horse will eat it. They don't absorb it or digest it at all. And it just passes through them, hence why it's called feed through. And then it gets in the manure and it keeps the flies away from the manure because that's you know one of the biggest things the flies are attracted to in 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 horses and livestock so it's a it's a good way to target where what the flies are coming after so but keeping after the the flies and the parasites and all that kind of stuff is a big thing in the summertime for sure
0: that makes a lot of sense now with traveling with horses, whether it be neighboring um hauling hauling for horse sales ropings ranch rodeos, regular rodeos, talk about some best practices when it comes to traveling with your horses
1: so Uh, I think it's important, you know, horses, you have to know your own horse to start with on this topic here, but but some horses travel well, and they'll drink anybody's water, and they'll eat any feed, you know, that you offer them. Other horses are very picky eaters and drinkers, and so just make sure you know your horse, and if you happen to have one that's really particular, make sure you haul all your own feed with you. You know, some places and shows, you can buy hay while you're there, but... But a lot of times, it's probably smarter and better to take your own feed with you. That way, you don't risk any digestive upset or any changes in the horse's GI tract and and risk any colic because of, of feed changes. Earlier, I mentioned electrolytes. I'm a big fan of that and would encourage having electrolytes with you. Anytime we send horses down the road, we'll give them electrolytes. For sure, the morning of, but ideally, the day before, the morning of, and the whenever they get there, giving them electrolytes, just to try to really make them go to drinking and stay hydrated. Also, I was about to say an easy thing to overlook, but but having a good pickup truck and a trailer is, is so important. You know, I've seen over the years here various wrecks along the highway, because we have both Highway 82 and 83 go by us here, where somebody had a bad trailer and the floor fell out of it, where a gate came unlatched whether a pickup truck broke down and then they're on the side of the road in the heat for hours, you know, lots of problems can arise if you don't have a good truck and trailer. So, so making sure that you take care of that equipment also, you know, prevention goes a long, long ways in that. And then same, same concept, but having good tack, especially during the summer and when you're rodeoing and on the, you know, going, blowing and going, I've seen so many, cinch sores or saddle sores from people having dirty saddle pads or old wore out cinches well you know during the summertime the flies will start getting in there then it'll get infected then it can get you know turn into a big old mess that's hard to treat so make sure you have good tack and and clean your tack too you know take care of your stuff because you know you can you can avoid a lot of sores a lot of ringworms a lot of, you know, issues like that. If you just take care of your stuff and clean your, your, your tack stuff. And then I, I'm also a big proponent of two things in terms of when you're hauling. One is talk to your vet and get a little go bag, a little vet bag, you know, with, with the, the basics of what you would need, you know. So like I mentioned earlier, electrolytes, but also bandage material for wounds and things to get you by till you can get your horse to a vet if something bad happens. You know, because inevitably horses just love to get hurt, and they're going to get hurt. And when you're not at home, or when you don't have a vet around, so having a plan in place ahead of time is is huge. And then again, you know, just being prepared for the the kind of the big common vet emergencies. And by being prepared, you know, like I mentioned earlier, having a good relationship with a vet, or if you're traveling on the road, going to ropings, ranch rodeos, and such kind of stroke out ahead of time and see what the veterinary options are or talk to your vet and see, hey, if something happens, who do you want me to go to or call? But being prepared, you know, horses love to get hurt, like I said, and get wounds. They love to colic. They love to become, come up lame, you know, so having some butte with you, a hoof pick, those kind of things. Also, anything, anytime a horse hurts its eyeball, it's an emergency you know, they they can get grass or hay in their eye. It might not seem like a big deal, but since they don't have a thumb and a forefinger to pick it out, it can turn into an ulcer and become a a major problem. So even carrying some eye ointment with you, that sort of thing. But all that talk through with your vet ahead of time and just kind of have a plan in place.
0: Sure. Again, that makes so much sense. I love that to be prepared and have that relationship established already so that you can, you can make those phone calls or send pictures and then they're ready for you when you get back home if need be.
1: <clears throat> you just spoke my love language is the pictures, you know, with the iPhones and technology we have nowadays, it's so easy to snap a picture and send it to a vet and be like, Hey, here's actually what's going on. Cause you'd be surprised at what some people have described to me. And then I ask for a picture and then I'm like, Oh, it's actually this. So, so taking a little short video, taking a picture, that's, that's, Wonderful. I love that sort of thing.
0: Well, Dr. Candidate, on that note and uh, the encouragement to send in pictures, we're going to have to come to the end of our conversation today. I appreciate your time and all of your insight that you've shared with us.
1: Yes, ma'am. Of course.
0: To our listeners, thanks for joining us today. We invite you to be part of one of our ranch gatherings and virtual ranching 101. For a full list of Ranch Gathering locations, Ranching 101 topics, and more information about cattle raisers, visit tscra.org or email events at tscra.org.